We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With US Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to a Monday edition of the Roadwire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen joined, as always, by Alex Barutha. And we have a special guest on this Monday afternoon. We are thrilled to welcome back our colleague, James Anderson. Uh, James, I don't think you've been on the NBA pod since probably conservatively like mid-May, you know, when we were doing the kind of throwback uh, podcast looking at, you know, games from the past. Obviously, baseball has picked up over the last few months. The NBA season resumed. Um, and it's just been it's been kind of chaotic for everybody with with guys in and out of the office. But uh, really thrilled that you were able to to kind of sneak away from baseball for a little bit and, and join us for a finals recap and then a little bit of a look ahead to to next season. Yeah, for sure. It was pretty crazy having the NBA finals and the middle of the baseball playoffs going out at the same time. But um, yeah, happy to happy to be back on with you guys. Yeah, I mean, typically right now we would be in full on preparation mode for the the next regular season and I guess for the first time like our our off seasons are pretty much going to align I mean the baseball season is down to 
the ALCS and the NLCS. Obviously, the NBA season wrapped up last night. Uh, did you guys watch in full Game 6, which was a, a 106-93 Lakers victory, uh, but a game that was not nearly as close as the final score would indicate? I watched the first half like pretty like intently. And then once the second half came around, I was just like doing other stuff. I had it on in the background um, and I could <laughs> I could tell nothing was going to change. But by the time, like the middle of the third quarter was was going on. Yeah, I watched the I watched what I would characterize as the competitive portion of the game, which is like the first 20 or so minutes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you guys know I'm like the most pessimistic fan when it comes to any any sporting event in which I have a rooting interest, um, whether that's the Jacksonville Jaguars or or the Lakers or whatever it might be. So like I was still convinced, you know, it's like a 36 point game midway through the third quarter. Uh, and I, I was watching with my girlfriend and she's just like, this is over. Can we, can we change the channel? I'm like, no, no, you don't. Something's going to happen here. Like I was fully convinced Duncan Robinson was going to hit 12 threes in a row and it was going to be a tie game. Um, but really this was a really as much of like, as a, especially a, like a clinching game, beatdown as I can remember like there's been some you know like LeBron's been on the the receiving end of some beatdowns against Golden State where where it kind of felt like it was over in the second quarter but for this to happen in a game six uh you know especially after Miami fought as hard as it did in game five I mean I I was fully convinced that uh the Lakers would maybe have a letdown game in game six because I I thought they played fairly well LeBron especially and Davis especially in game five I, I thought they'd maybe have a tougher time channeling that same energy. And I, I thought, if anything, this was probably the Lakers' most complete performance, especially defensively, since maybe game one or possibly game two. Yeah, I mean, that sounds right. I mean, it, there's one one play that sticks out for me was from Anthony Davis, where I think it was Kendrick Nunn was doing a pick and roll with Bam. He was driving left, and he thought about, it's kind of one of those situations where the point guard can kind of do a floating layup or just lob it to the to the center who's rolling to the rim and Anthony Davis just completely swatted whatever Kendrick Nunn was trying to throw up. I can't even remember if it was a pass or a shot, but Davis guarded basically both players, the the driver mm-hmm. um, and the roller. And it was just one of those things where it's like when you see that happen and the game is already like kind of tilted towards the Lakers, it's just like the, you you could tell there's no chance. Plus Jimmy Butler was pretty gassed I think from the from the previous game. Yeah, I thought the Lakers really put the clamps on defensively in the first uh, first quarter, first first two quarters, and they're just so good at playing with a lead. And the you know the Heat, the Heat kind of have the advantage on them. I think when you get into like a close game, like fourth quarter type of thing, but uh, just never really got to that point in this game. I th- the biggest difference was that there were never multiple possessions down the stretch where Markeith Morris is isolated defending Jimmy Butler like that that's what killed them I thought in in game five it was just like how is I, I know LeBron was the primary defender on Butler but they they kept getting the switch the, the Lakers seemed more than happy to let it happen and Butler was just scoring at will in those situations but uh, like you said Alex we, this really wasn't the same Jimmy Butler I uh, finished with 12 points eight assists seven rebounds uh, but I, th- I think he only had like four points in the first half uh, certainly was not nearly as assertive as they needed him to be I thought really outside of Bam Adebayo, who was 25 and 10 with five assists, 10 to 15 from the floor, easily his best game of the series, uh, which was, you know, obviously hampered by an injury. I, I really didn't think like anybody for the Heat played an above average game. Tyler Hero had a pretty rough night. You mentioned, you know, Kendrick Nunn being deterred by Anthony Davis. Tyler Hero had a, a couple 
it just kind of hurls at the rim, uh, one of which was a floater, you know, from about seven or eight feet that he left like two feet short of the rim. <laughs> that just that same aggression wasn't really there. And then, you know, it was nice to see Goran Dragic back on the floor. You know, I, I, we were running through our projections yesterday and I, I think we projected him for like 12 minutes. I, I had no idea what to expect. You know, I, th- I thought there was a possibility that he would be active and not play at all. Uh, I, I feel like him playing 19 minutes in this game was probably like the best case scenario for him physically that he was able to hold up for that long. But I mean, he was not good. His, his first three point attempt was was an air ball that hit like the other side of the backboard uh, from the side of the court he was shooting. He ended up two of eight. Uh, what was a plus two for them? in those 19 minutes. But I, I don't think that Goran Dragic, you know, unless you want to make a case that, you know, maybe there was some sort of like, you know, internal rah, rah, this guy's back you know, type of thing that helped the team. I, I don't think his like on-court presence was, was much of a boost for Miami. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I don't, I don't know if it would have been any better with that, with if he hadn't been in the rotation, but yeah, I, I would agree with you when you said just pretty much everyone on the heat did not, uh, come to play like they needed to and and the the Lakers defense was just kind of suffocating on um, I mean when those guys like Hero and Dragic just have nowhere to no room to, to operate I mean it, it was pretty um, one-sided earlier right and I mean Nick we talked about on our I think our previous podcast that the heat's depth kind of started to look thinner like as the series went on. And I think that just kind of showed like that it was like the ultimate kind of regression of the mean, I think in game six mm-hmm. um, where those guys just did not play well. And you see like, you know, Solomon Hill and Andre Godala out there at the same time. And you're like, Oh, like this is not good. Iguodala was launching some questionable threes, trying to kind of shoot their way back into that game uh, early in the second half. But no, that's a great point. I, I think on paper, coming into the series. And, and I think it is still true. Like Miami's depth was, you know, so much better when you compare the, the Robinson hero Crowder trio to like, you know, Kuzma Morris and KCP, but I, I, they got a great series out of Caldwell Pope with 17 yeah. in this one. He was, I, I thought, I, I think Rondo was probably their third best player in this game, but I think for the series overall, uh, KCP was probably their most consistent guy outside of the top two. Um, but you know, I mean, like, like you said, this, this was more about the Lakers defense and it wasn't even creating turnovers, right? I mean, Miami only had 13 turnovers. It felt like more, but a lot of the shots that they were getting were essentially turnovers. You know, you're just getting absolutely smothered at the rim, throwing something up. And you know, the guy who's shooting it half the time ends up on the ground under the basket. And then you have a five on four going the other way. So I I thought Miami, you know, kind of beat itself uh, in some ways by, by taking a lot of tough looks, but, uh, hats off, uh, of course, to the Lakers defense. Lakers also didn't shoot the ball that well. 11 of 35. I mean, this was a game that they probably could have been up 40 plus if if some of those open looks. I mean, LeBron was one of five from three after hitting six threes in game five. Anthony Davis was 0 of three. So, I mean, those guys go one of eight and you can tack on 0 of two from Caruso. So you have three starters going one of 10, combining to hit as many threes as Dwight Howard, who in his one minute managed to take one shot and it was like a 27 foot three. Uh, yeah, I, the, the Lakers, like you, like you said, they were, I mean, they were just dominant. KCP was like on, on another level. I would have never thought that KCP would definitively outplay Danny Green. Um, and to some extent Rondo. Um, but yeah, it was, it was I mean, and also LeBron got his 40 point game, which we talked about on one of the podcasts, whether we thought he would actually get one or not in this finals. He pulled that off in game five. 
Yeah, I mean, this was a another strong series, uh, of course, for LeBron. I think maybe not his best finals or his best wire-to-wire playoff run, but I think efficiency-wise, it was. He shot like 59% for the finals. Um, and then, of course, you know, ended with a triple-double in game six. But um, yeah, it, it was, like I said, I, I was just surprised that it ended like it did. I, I thought we would get a much more competitive game six. Uh, I, I was fully prepared to be hunkered down for a game seven on Tuesday night that, that would have gone up against this weird Tuesday night NFL game that we have. Um, but, but at the end of the day, I mean, I, I think, is there any doubt in your mind um, given the teams that were involved, given the circumstances with the bubble that the best team or the most talented team didn't end up winning the title? I, I mean, I think the right team won. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I think, I think the, I mean, I still think the Clippers because of the depth, their theoretical depth, you could say, was... I mean, you could have said they were the right team to win just because they had Harrell and Lou Williams and those guys were supposed to be good, even though they just, they weren't. Um, but I, I don't think this is, like, the wrong outcome. And I, I think this... I, I think what happened ultimately makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you, you... Basically, you had, like, the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Bucks as, like, the clear three big favorites going in and LeBron James and Anthony Davis had better playoffs than any of Kawhi or right. Giannis or Paul George. So I think mm-hmm. it, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to the, you know, 2021 title odds in a little bit, but one of the things I wrote for, for an article I put up on the site today with those is I, I still think like on paper and we'll see how things change, you know, both the Lakers and the Clippers probably have some minor roster tweaks to make between now and, and January or February. But I, I still think on paper, the Clippers roster, like one through 10, is better than the Lakers. But I think the gap between maybe not LeBron and Kawhi, but the gap between like Anthony Davis and Paul George, I think got quite a bit bigger after these playoffs. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. I, and I, mean, I, I think, think that's more about Paul George. I mean, Davis was great. I think they both, I think Davis probably exceeded expectations, but I think Paul George more so fell short. We also just, we saw what, uh, like what LeBron and Anthony Davis are still capable of in playoff games versus like, you know, throw Paul George out of this, uh, but just Kawhi Leonard, you know, his sort of um, isolation style. Like, I mean, he, he kind of ran out of gas. It seemed physically anyways, um, towards the end of that, that nugget series, but just, I, I think LeBron and Anthony Davis's strengths translated uh, more and and for a longer period of time in these these playoffs. So I mean I, I think you might be right, Nick, but I just think having watched this Lakers core get it done, I would still have them as the favorites over the the Clippers just because we we saw both cores get to the playoffs and, and one played much better. Yeah, I mean Davis had like I mean I want I don't know if like historic is the right way to put it, but like his playoff run was incredible. Like twenty eight points a game. 57% from the field, even 38% from three. Like, he was legitimately a threat from three-pointer. You could not leave him open. And 83% from the free-throw line, that's an addition to, like, you know, 10 rebounds, four assists, three combined steals and blocks nearly. Like, I don't think, I mean, I don't, Paul George can't do that in the playoffs. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think the Lakers, I wouldn't say they were clowned for their roster construction, but, you know, this is a team that, if DeMarcus Cousins was healthy, would have employed... DeMarcus Cousins, JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis in an era when you have some teams that basically have one or even zero centers on the entire roster. And 
I wouldn't, I don't think they've been like vindicated for that. And all of a sudden the league is going to switch back to, you know, every team is starting two guys that are six eleven and can't shoot, but having somebody in Davis who can do all the things that the best defensive centers in the league do while also being able to step out is just it's such an overwhelming skill. You know, the other, the other great defensive centers, you know, Gobert, you could even throw someone like Giannis in there, like, you know, not making teams respect you from beyond the arc is, is just such a hindrance to those teams. And, and the Lakers could kind of have the best of both worlds with Davis. Yeah. Well, I mean, they didn't, the, the fact that they had all those centers on the roster, that was just sort of a um, make life easy on Davis during the regular mm-hmm. season type of roster yeah. construction. You know I mean? Like JaVale McGee wasn't even really playing any meaningful minutes in the playoffs. And Dwight Howard was kind of a matchup based play uh, or just kind of by, right um ad or lebron like 10 minutes where they don't have to guard like bam out of bio that type of thing i mean they, they weren't really leaning on those guys when it really counted i feel like we might start seeing that more in the nba where it's like these kind of four or five tweener guys they just in the regular season the team has a center on the roster that can just like eat 15 minutes a game so that player doesn't have to like you know get pushed around like when when the wolves had gorgie jang and they could like play him and towns together just so towns could get like you know, 15 minutes, theoretically, like not at center. Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like that's something that just might happen more often. And even a team like the Bucks, right? They they had Robin Lopez playing the regular season, but then it became apparent that like Robin Lopez cannot play in the playoffs. And then they were a lot of times they would just either put Lopez out there for huge minutes and he was a three point shooter or they just play Giannis at center as a backup. Regardless of the team, it's kind of become increasingly more clear that when the chips are down, you know, the Lakers go to Davis at center or you know, it, it's usually the teams that do have those alignments have to get away from them at some point. Well, I mean, the heat, the heat's not playing like a Linux, right. um, the deeper yeah. they went too. I well, mean, they, and, they started and, Myers Leonard for most of the year too. He, he didn't even play. Right. Right. Speaking of Miami, how much did your perception uh, of both the heat and Jimmy Butler change throughout these playoffs? You know, when you look ahead to projecting them for next season and beyond. Well, I mean, I think as much as, like, I would have had a tendency to, like, make fun of, like, quote-unquote heat culture um, and just, you know, say that stuff's overrated, I I do think, like, Jimmy Butler, maybe himself, is, like, the perfect... I, I don't know if he's, like, the perfect number one guy, but he's, like, a great leader for your team. Like, Butler had stretches where he was, like, the third... I mean, he was, like, the third most important player on the court some nights when Dragic and Adebayo were playing really well. And um, I don't know. Like, I mean, my perception of the Heat's pretty high at this point because I don't think Butler's going to get any worse. Uh, we're kind of not sure what's going to happen with Dragic, but you figure Nunn and Hero might improve and be able to take over some of those minutes if he leaves or just isn't himself after this injury. Bam's obviously going to get better. Like, they're just organizationally, organizationally, uh, they're doing really well. Um, as far as the Lakers go, I mean, this doesn't really change much in my perception of them yeah i would i would say the heat uh you know that they just are so well built for the playoffs uh for the foreseeable future because they can go uh they're always going to be able to go seven or eight deep of guys that you can play in like a nba finals type of game and they aren't going to have uh a glaring weak spot really and they have the coaching edge in most matchups and um defensively they can they can play a lot of different styles and so i just 
I think they're going to be a team for the next two or three years. I mean, if they obviously if they add another superstar, maybe that'd be different. But I think for the next two or three years, they're just a team that is going to kind of win in the 50s, like low 50s games. But it's just going to be a huge threat against anyone in a postseason matchup. Right. I, I almost think they're like the reverse Bucks in some ways. Where yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah, like the Bucks, you know, the Bucks could win 70 games next year, and I don't think anybody's going to care. It's going to be like, all right, that's all well and good. Okay. We basically saw you do that the last two years, but now go make it out of the second round. Whereas I think, like you said, the Heat could be like the sixth seed next year and win 46 games or whatever that is. And every every single, you know, if, if you're playing them as a three seed in round one, you're going to think this is a 50-50 series. You know, like this team, we saw them do it last year. You know, they've kind of now they've earned the benefit of the doubt, I guess, um, that some maybe more talented teams have kind of squandered. Yeah, I, w- I would say maybe I might project them to be like the three seed. Um, it's I, I think it's going to be fascinating. Um, yeah, I think like the Celtics, the Heat, and the Bucks are, are to me kind of the class of the East now. And it it uh, probably doesn't matter who, how many wins each of those three teams have in the regular season. I'll be kind of down to Celtics or Heat in the playoffs until the Bucks sort of prove that they need to be mentioned in that. Um, just because I think those two rosters translate really well. Like, like I don't see that as much as I think the Heat are going to be better in the postseason than the regular season. I still think they're going to be better than like the Sixers or the Pacers in the regular season. There is a concern for me in that Goran Dragic is a free agent. I, I don't. I don't know what Miami can do necessarily to keep him. I, I think there would be interest there, but you know, as you mentioned, James, they still they still want to preserve flexibility for next offseason. And I think that's probably the number one priority. Like in some ways they arrived a year or two earlier, I think, than even they expected. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't think the Miami Heat coming into this season this time last year, um, I don't I don't think anybody in that ex, in that, you know, front office thought, you know, we're, this is a finals team. And and you know, some of the players said as the season went along, they started to maybe get that feeling, but I think the roster could look quite a bit better, um, not only you know, potentially adding a major free agent, but Tyler Hero's only going to get better. Adebayo is only going to get better. Jimmy Butler should probably at least sustain this for another two or three years. Um, you know, they're, they're a roster that's built to compete. But at the same time, losing Dragic, who, who was their leading scorer in the playoffs prior to the injury, um, that could be a pretty major hit, especially because I don't think Kendrick Nunn is all that good. And the other thing, too, is... You know, you're paying Andre Iguodala $15 million next year. And I, I'm pretty sure that's fully guaranteed. I think there's a team option the year after. I, you're paying that to a guy that played 10 minutes in the deciding game of an NBA Finals. You know, I, I, it's hard to say that that signing didn't pay off. They did make the Finals. He was a piece of that. But $15 million to a guy who, you know, really isn't going to give you that much, I, I think is a pretty big hit. And that could ultimately be what precludes them from re-signing Dragic or, you know, adding another decent veteran piece this summer yeah that's a tough that contract is is really tough um again it's like it's hard to criticize them because they got to the nba finals but there was i mean i was pretty skeptical 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 of andre Godala being able to be worth 15 million dollars like i i don't know and like you said he, he, he was not really that good out there he's very much a shell of himself I guess just in the short term, I don't know that the Heat can get a whole lot better between this year and next year. I, I think they maybe make their leap in two seasons, but um, you know, nonetheless, I, I think, like I said, they've they've certainly earned the benefit of the doubt. 
The Rotowire NBA show is brought to you by Prediction Strike. It's a fantasy sports stock market on which you can buy and sell shares of professional athletes as if they were stocks. Ever heard your friends say, I've had stock in that player since day one? Well, Prediction Strike makes that a real possibility. You had stock in Patrick Mahomes his rookie year. You knew this would happen. Now, that's a complete reality. Create a portfolio of all your favorite athletes and get closer to the game than ever before. This is basically exactly how I felt about OJ Mayo from day one. Still only 32, by the way. Tore it up in China last season. Just something to keep an eye on. Maybe an opportunity to buy low on OJ Mayo on Prediction Strike. To get started, simply visit predictionstrike.com and create an account. Then deposit funds to buy, sell, and hold shares of your favorite players, just like you would with your real stock account. Each game is like an earnings report. If the player beats his projections, his stock moves up. It's that easy. You can trade your shares of players at any time, as long as the player is not currently playing in a game. You can get started with Prediction Strike today by visiting predictionstrike.com and sign up with our code ROTOWIRE to get an additional $10 off your first deposit of at least $20. That's code ROTOWIRE, R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E, for an additional 10 bucks with your first deposit of at least $20. Looking at the 2021 NBA title odds that were released uh, basically right after the buzzer uh, in game six on Sunday night. Uh, there, you can find different numbers depending on where you look, but we usually stick with the DraftKings Sportsbook. Those are the numbers uh, that that are inputted into the article that, that I've been referencing. So the top five favorites heading into next season, Lakers plus 350, Clippers plus 400, Bucks plus 500, Warriors plus 600, and then you have the Nets and the Heat both tied at plus 900. Oh man, I, I mean, like having the Warriors and the Nets there, that makes it tough. I mean, that I mean, those are two like impossible teams to analyze, right? I, just because we didn't see them in any real form this season, so having them that high, like I understand because obviously, like we we know, you know, it's the Warriors and the Nets have KD and Kyrie, and they still have a good supporting cast, like. Dinwiddie and and Levert and Jared Allen and all those guys are that's a that is a really good supporting cast to flank Katie and Kyrie. Um, I guess you have to put them above the Heat just because of pure talent, right? But um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if any of those are like great necessarily like value bets, right? I mean, I guess the Nets seem like that's that's fair odds. I think. I I don't think I would bet. Any of those, if if you made me bet any of those that you listed, um, I think Lakers plus three fifty. Like, <laughs> sure, I, yeah. Like the my favorite bet is the Mavs plus twenty two hundred because I think the mm-hmm. Mavs have just as good a case as like I think they could have beat like if, if they catch a couple breaks and Porzingis doesn't get hurt, I think they would have knocked out the Clippers. So I think you get like Luka Doncic every single year is better than everyone expected him to be like he he just takes another leap and we saw how well his game translates in the playoffs and like that's just not a team I want any piece of in the the postseason so they might not be my favorite to come out of the west but at 2200 like that there I can see actual value I I don't see a ton of value with those those other bets because there's there's a ton of uncertainty with the nets um you know, I, I don't necessarily have a ton of faith in just KD and Kyrie calling all the shots and that somehow translating into a title. Um, 
And then with the Warriors, you know, it's it's going to be fascinating to see what they do with that draft pick. Um, it's we still we we aren't going to have any clue whether the impactful playoff performer Draymond Green still exists until next year's playoffs. So, like. I think Clay and Steph are going to be fine. They're, they're probably not going to be quite as good as they were before they got hurt. But, um, you know, Draymond might just be kind of washed in terms of a, a big-time difference maker. So, But we aren't, we aren't going to really figure that out in the regular season. Um, so to me, like, I, I think if, if you give Luka and a healthy Porzingis, um, you know, a decent break with, with just the bracket and the matchups, I think they can make it out. I'm 100% with you on the Mavs. I, I think, if, and I wrote this yeah. in my article, if there's one you know, somewhat long shot to bet, it, I, I think you ha- it has to be Dallas. Because when you get to a certain point, like the last team that I think you could conceivably see catching a few breaks and like making the finals is like maybe the Jazz at 40 to one. And like, I obviously would not bet on that happening, but it's, you know, it's not like inconceivable that they could make it. Anything beyond that, None of those teams have any shot. You know, it's nice to look at their title odds, but that's like 17 out of the 30 teams have 0% chance to to make the finals. And most of the teams that we're talking about really don't have that legitimate of a chance. I, I do like the Warriors at 6-1. to one. Again, not a ton of value there, but uh, basically based on what you said, James, they have the pick, they have the Wiggins contract. Of all the teams at the top, like the Lakers, the Clippers, the Bucks, their team right now is basically their team. You know, maybe you, you can add somebody at the mid-level. You could do a you know, veteran for veteran trade, you know, the Bucks signed Wes Matthews last year, you know, that, those are the type of moves that we're talking for those teams. The Warriors are the one team in that category that could, you know, swing a, a Bradley Beal trade, or even if it's not Bradley Beal, you know, Tobias Harris, whoever it might be, you know, all of a sudden they, they could be the team that adds a, a third weapon alongside Clay and Draymond. And, and at the top are, are more of like a big two situation. With that said, I have the same concerns about Draymond, who, it was really difficult to evaluate him this past year, but for the most part, looked absolutely nothing like the Draymond Green of 2016, 2017. And, and even in the 2018 playoffs, when, when they were still mostly at full strength, I, I didn't think he was as good. So they have some major questions to answer. The Nets, I feel like the Nets are going to have the same season next year as the Clippers had this year, where like, like pretty good regular yeah. season, some ups yeah. and downs. I just, I cannot see that team. Like it happens every year. And I, I think we forget it when you, when you're talking this far out, but then, you know, having just been through a finals, there's like so much happens adversity wise, injury wise, you know, game to game you know, performances. Like if Kyrie Irving has a game like Anthony Davis had in what was it? Game three of the finals where it's just kind of a disappearing act. I just I just don't see Kevin Durant and Kyrie getting together and being like, all right, we'll rally back from this. We'll be fine. Like I, I, I just don't trust the Nets at all to have the mental toughness, I guess, that it takes to win a title. They. They feel like a finger pointing team, don't they? Like something goes wrong and it's never the person's fault. You know, it's, it's well, never my just, fault. Like you can't come up with a whatever you think their like best lineup would be, it's going to be a below average defensive lineup, right? Mm-hmm. And I just don't I just don't see them matching up with these very best teams and being able to dig in that much on that end of the court to to pull it off. Yeah, I mean, I think that well, that's a good point too. They just aren't they aren't built for defense. But I mean, now with Steve Nash's coach, you figure they might just kick up and down the court a ton, and they might just try to. I mean, they could be a team who. I mean, if the Nets scored the most points per game in the NBA, that wouldn't shock me. Like they might also give up a ton. Like if they were if they if they led the league in scoring, I could definitely see that. 
but I mean the the league is still the league is still really deep. Like I like I, I I'm I'm with you guys on the on the map. It's at twenty to one. We saw can play. Maybe Jamal Murray's taking a step up. Like Waylon, I agree with you on the on the Jazz. We saw Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell playing incredible, and they're going to get Bojan back. Even the Blazers at like fifty to one. Lillard was insane in the bubble. Nurkish looked great. He's going to have a bunch of time to recover again. Like you can talk yourself into a lot of different teams either winning the conference or winning the finals. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think in some ways it mirrors last season where right. and that's I, I think that's kind of the reason that you're maybe not getting a lot of value when there was a super dominant Golden State team. You know, if you're looking at the, the finals odds for 2017 or 2018, you could get a lot of value in picking the fourth or fifth highest team because the odds were like 20 to one because there was such a dominant team at the top, whereas you're just not going to find that same type of value. So, I mean, it, it is hard to really pinpoint one and say, like, yes, I feel great about that. Um I mean, for me, James, with Dallas, there just needs to be some sort of upgrade around those guys. I, I haven't done like a deep dive into the Mavericks cap sheet, but if, if Dodgers and Porzingis stay healthy for the entire year and through the playoffs, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think their ceiling is extremely high, and I, I think they would have had a good chance to beat the Clippers this past year, and, and maybe we're talking about them in a completely different context right now. But I, I still they need either a better number three or they need to get better in like the four through seven spots because... I don't really trust, like, I don't want Tim Hardaway necessarily to be that guy. I don't want to feel like I have to give Trey Burke 25 minutes a game in the playoffs. You know, getting Jalen Brunson back, I guess, kind of helps. But, like, I, I think they need a major upgrade either, like, kind of on the wing. You know, like, Dorian Finney-Smith, nice defender. Your backup to him can't be Justin Jackson. You know, like, their their <laughs> roster is just, like, pretty shallow beyond the top five or six. They, I mean, they could really use someone like uh, Justin Holiday. Um, mm-hmm. I. I think, you know, to me, like the reason why I loved them at plus at plus twenty two hundred is I I just think they should be like plus fourteen hundred. So like I just I think that that's just a bad line, whereas the rest of the lines seem um, pretty legit. Uh, so I don't I think you're getting value there. It's not like I'm saying the Mavs are going to win the title, but uh, <laughs> they should have better odds than they do. Uh, to me, it's 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 I think you're right. Like there are ways that they can get better. Like they can. Like Daylon Wright just is not a fit next to Luca, so they could maybe just kind of do a my bad fit for your bad fit and move him to a team that needs a competent backup point guard or something like that, and maybe you get a wing back that way. But it really just comes down to like if you have a fully health healthy Luka Doncic and a fully healthy Kristaps Porzingis, I kind of and and Rick Carlisle, I think you kind of have a shot against any team in the league mm-hmm. in a playoff series. Um, so that's that's kind of my reasoning there. Well, and they're they're built very similarly, I would say, to the Lakers, right? They have like a ball dominant, one of the best passing like forwards in the NBA. Luca is obviously like similar to LeBron. Porzingis is kind of like the weaker version of of Anthony Davis, someone who plays four but can definitely play five, protects the rim, spaces out likes to shoot rather than like drive to the rim all the time. But their third guy, Tim Hardaway is probably better than the Lakers third guy. Obviously their top two aren't as good, but if they can, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know whether they should increase their depth or just try to get someone to bump, you know, Tim Hardaway to like Mm -hmm. the fourth best player spot. But I think they're they're definitely not going to get rid of their 2021 cap space. Right. Like, so they they have to get, they're, they're kind of in the same, Boat as like the the heat 
where right. they they're saving that cap space uh, to try to get Giannis or, or or whoever else, and so they can't really go out and make a huge splash to upgrade in the short term. They have to really kind of get creative and mm-hmm. and make some really shrewd signings to to pull it off. Yeah, am I just being short-sighted or is it fair to say that like several teams on this list as we look ahead to next year would be would be teams that like could have made the finals in 2013 or 2014 you know like comparing that Mavericks team to the Pacers team that the Heat faced in the East finals you know or you know this Raptors team that's 16 to 1 this Celtics team that's 12 to 1 you know maybe it's just revisionist history favoring the moment favoring guys you remember watching three weeks ago as opposed to seven years ago but I, I just feel like the depth of the league coming into next year like cannot be overstated. Yeah, yeah. I mean the the depth of the West, uh, especially like the fact that the Nuggets went on the run that they did and they're twenty to one. I mean like Jamal Murray at times looked like the best playoff score I've ever seen, and they're <laughs> yeah. coming and like Nikola Jokic was the best player in like games where LeBron was playing in and AD was playing in, and they're twenty to one. I mean that just shows you how deep the West is. The Nuggets have worse title odds now than they did this time last year. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's insane. I, I looked it up. They were 16 to one this time last year. They they make a run to the West Finals. Both of their star players raise their stock as much as anybody, maybe other than Jimmy Butler in these entire playoffs, and their odds fall. And like Michael Porter's gonna be right. a, a breakout candidate again, and like everyone loves Jeremy Grant and stuff. Yeah, I mean, crazy. Yeah, I, I think whether they can retain Grant is a major question, but that's obvious. That's not something that's influencing title odds. Um, I, I did see today Danilo Gallinari gave an interview. I think it was Sportando. You know, he's right now um, that reported that he he said playing for a title is now much more important than playing for a contract. So I, I think you're going to see guys like that. You know, I think Serge Ibaka, he has a title, but, you know, he's he's a free agent. Um, kind of those I wouldn't even say stars, but you know, one or two notches below all-star level guys, like those are the type of players who might take a discount to go play with one of the LA teams or join the Milwaukee Bucks or join the Heat, whatever it might be. Like think of how much of a of a boon getting a Danilo Gallinari would be to a team like the Lakers. Yeah, or even a team or even a team like the Mavericks. Right. Yeah, or the Mavericks or whoever. Yeah, the Suns even. Obviously they're not like a real title contender, but yeah, you know. Like that would that would be a boost. Well, t- yeah. yeah, teams are gonna be wanting like like Dragic is probably gonna get like a big one year deal from someone. Yeah, and, I, like, I don't know if I'd want to beat that team. Uh, yeah, you want yeah. to get one of those guys. Like you you want to offer that big one year deal though, right? Like so that you can, because like any long term deal you give like Gallo or Dragic isn't gonna look that great. But if you can just get it for one year, yeah. then you might be okay. If you can do one year, yeah. I I mean Dragic. I guess he doesn't turn 35 till May. I, th- I thought he was going on 36, but yeah, I, I wouldn't want to go beyond one year there. Uh, I do want to touch on the Rockets at 22 to one and the Sixers at 30 to one. Both of those teams were eight to one coming into this past season. And, you know, you are, you are adding the nets back into the mix. That's, that's maybe a factor, especially for the Sixers when you consider, you know, how deep the East is now, but I mean, neither of those teams uh, obviously did anything to improve their odds, but still I, I, I think considering that the, the depth in both sides was at least comparable this time last year compared to this time this year, for both of those teams to really not undergo any major roster changes, um, you know, I guess other than, than Houston kind of switching to, to full small ball, 
for those teams to go from eight to one to 22 and 30 to one is, is a pretty massive drop. Yeah, the I mean, the 76ers, the their stock is at at like an absolute all time low at this point. You can kind of understand where you can. I mean, you can at least understand where that number comes from. Oh, because. Yeah. And the jet or the Rockets, um, you know, I think them having the same odds as the Mavericks makes sense. I still think the Mavericks are a better playoff team and a more versatile playoff team. Um, well, so I, I, mean, I also don't want to say they should be lower than 22 to one. See, I, I just I, I'm not going to say those teams have zero percent chance, but I would say less than like less than a two percent chance of winning the finals for both of those teams. Like, I feel like we've seen the best Rockets team, like the best hard narrows Rockets team are, are in the past. Uh, you've got, you, you could argue like, I mean, Russell Westbrook, Al Horford and Tobias Harris contracts and, and even Eric Gordon's contract, like those are all underwater. And you could argue about like how much, um, but the, like there's bad, there's dead weight contracts for the most part. And so it's just really tough to envision either of those teams really contending i mean they, they could win a playoff series for sure but i just i think both of those teams there's, there's just too much of an uphill battle there I, i've said to alex a number of times on the pod when we look ahead at, at odds and even you know playoff odds this year the rockets have just run out of respect i think they they no longer get any benefit of the doubt like they, they've right. always been that team the last few years where like even coming into the bubble it was Lakers Clippers were, you know, were usually like plus 200 each or, you know, they were kind of jostling day by day for that top spot. And the consensus third team in the West, even until the second round was the Rockets. I think they were like seven to one to, to win the title at the start of the bubble. And there, there was just always this belief that like Harden's numbers are so insane. And, you know, Westbrook's been an MVP and he's putting up triple doubles. There was always this belief that like, if everything clicked and they hit 25 threes a game, they could beat everybody. And it's just never happened. There, there really was never any evidence to support it. And I feel like finally, I'm out of the doubt. And and I think yeah. you 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 see D'Antoni like exit and like they could very realistically be a worse coach team next year. Mm-hmm. And like I don't think Daryl Morey's long for that job. Like I don't I don't think he wants that job. I mean he's not going to just resign, but. Um, like I think the Rockets have an extremely bleak long-term outlook. Um, they they might have another 50-win season in them just because of James Harden's regular season brilliance. But yeah, I think they're just kind of a non-factor to me, basically. Yeah, Maury, I think at this point would just rather. I he probably feels like he's almost tapped out what he can do with this team, and maybe he's already over the hill in that sense. And he would just be a lot more fun as the GM of some like like awful team, right? Like Sam Hankey style, where you know, he can just like full send into the, I don't even know, the Wizards or the Magic or something and just mess with them. Well, it's not unique for a team. You know, you said, James, the Rockets are, are ill-positioned for the future. I agree with you. That's kind of the price of going all in. And oftentimes it works and you, you get a situation with the, like the Cavs where you go to four straight finals and you're terrible the next year. But it's like, hey, we went to four straight finals. I think it's especially tough to swallow if you're Houston and you went all in and like never even made a finals. We were never really even that close. And that that's kind of where they're sitting. It, it's not, it's not crazy to think that, you know, with, like what, what kind of odds would you put on James Harden being traded sometime between now <laughs> I, and the next deadline? I, I was going to say, I think it's more likely Harden gets traded before the NBA finals than the, the Rockets make. The 
Yeah, I well, think what, so too. Waylon, you and I talked about the potential Ben Simmons for James Hargan trade that we thought was interesting. Yeah. On one of I, our other pods. I, I It would have to be something like that. I mean, I don't, if you're the Rockets, I, I don't, I can't imagine you're trading Harden for like the same type of package that you got him for, you know, like, a, like Jeremy Lamb, Kevin Martin, you know, pieces. Like, I think you would want a straight up superstar for superstar type of package. And there are very few teams, I think, that would, that would welcome a deal like that. And I don't know. I mean, we, we, we've been talking about the Rockets and the Sixers in conjunction because they kind of mirror each other in terms of disappointment in each conference. I don't know. Is, is, does that intrigue you to any degree, James? I know you and I have, have slacked about this before, but like a Harden to the Rockets for, or Harden to the Sixers for, for Simmons? Um, I would, you know, I would prefer to just get a, I'd, I'd prefer like a Paul George type of return where mm-hmm. I could get just multiple first round picks that are right. uh, many years down the road because I just, I just don't think you can win meaningfully in the playoffs as long as that Russell West, Westbrook contract runs. So getting someone like Simmons, who's good right now, who doesn't fit well with Westbrook at all, and like that, that team's just kind of capped as sort of like a mid-40 win team, like that just doesn't appeal to me a ton. I'd rather just get a bunch of picks and maybe, maybe you can get a Shea Gilgis-Alexander level prospect back or something. But um, as, as long as that Russell Westbrook contract's on the books, I just don't see the Rockets being able to compete. So what, one narrative that I saw a lot on Twitter, especially over the last week with some of the games that Jimmy Butler had, um, I, I, I don't think Jimmy Butler has ever, coming into this year, said, I'd take Jimmy Butler over James Harden. You know, even if you're someone who was a James Harden non-believer, you know, uh, I think at the end of the day, the numbers were just a little too overwhelming. Is there a legitimate case that you, if you're Miami, you would rather have Jimmy Butler to begin next season than, than James Harden? I think so. Was he, I mean, he you, was that good in the finals? You, yeah, you, well, well, you'd piss off the fan base, I think. I, I don't even know if it would. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, I think I think Butler's, I mean, it's intangible, but probably a better leader. He's definitely a better two-way player. He's a way more versatile player. Right? Like Harden is incredibly, like his, his offensive game is versatile with his step backs and everything he does on offense, but he is a one-dimensional player. He is an ISO player. He can obviously do pick and roll, but they've abandoned that because they think it's less efficient than him just running ISO. Like there are more ways you can win basketball games when Jimmy Butler is on your team because he does he does a little bit of everything, even if he can't shoot threes that well. Like he cuts when he's not shooting well. He plays hard defense. He can run pick and roll. He can. I mean, he's. I don't know. I think his versatility is just really. It's hard to. It. it they're really hard players to compare. But I can I can see the argument to take Jimmy over over James Harden. I mean, it's totally living in the moment, but we're living in the moment with facts, and the mm-hmm. facts are that like Jimmy <laughs> Butler closed games the way that people wish James Harden could close games. Like, I mean, you right. can't even give James Harden the edge of being a playoff crunch time scorer over Jimmy Butler, and if you can't give him that edge, I mean, you sure maybe he's a better distributor, but. Uh, I mean, if he can't get the playoff scoring crunch time edge, then I think it's got to be Jimmy. So as you look at like the second half of the odds, you know, getting beyond uh, Portland at at plus uh, 5,000, you know, 50 to one, any team beyond that, you know, no matter how much you like the Pelicans or 
the Suns or whoever it might be. Like those teams aren't winning the title. I, I wouldn't bet on any of these numbers, but we, we could still use them as kind of a framework to talk about some of these teams. I mean, is Pelican 70 to one fair? Is is the Suns who we haven't seen lose since March you know, at 100 to one? Is that fair? Um, and again, you're, you're not necessarily saying like, what are their chances of winning the title, but just in terms of like the, the overall hierarchy of where they're placed in these rankings. Well, I mean, it was kind of a fluke, but I always use two seasons ago when the Bucks were 100 to one to win the title and they went to the Eastern Conference Finals as like a framework yeah. for what, you know, what do I think are good odds? Or if I look at a team, I can understand why the Pelicans are, you know, are 70 to one. But I also and, you know, Zion is a big factor there. And Ingram's really good, but I still don't know what they're going to do with their team. Like, I think their team is still in flux. Like, I don't know what's going to happen with Derek Favors. Maybe they get rid of Drew Holiday. Like, they were so bad. And it sounds like they don't like Lonzo Ball at all. Like, they were so bad in the bubble that it makes me wonder, like, if their team is going to look almost completely different besides Zion and Ingram. Like, I don't know if that's going to translate well into wins. Like, they could almost tank next season. Like, it would be more shocking to me if the Suns didn't make the playoffs personally, because of how well they play in the bubble. Aiton looked great. Booker is, is a clear cut all-star and they're, they're not incredibly deep, but Ubre is good. Um, you know, the Rubio fits kind of weird, but it seems to work. So I think, I think in that group of teams, I would pick, I would pick the Suns Cause I don't, I don't really believe in the Pacers. I don't, especially with Oladipo and Miles Turner, not even wanting to play there anymore. I don't, believe in like the Hawks making that big of a leap or the Bulls making that big of a leap. So for me, I think it'd be the Suns. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would strongly advise against anyone betting anything lower than the Mavs at 22 to one <laughs> right, um, <yeah>. wrongly, <laughs> but uh, yeah, for the purposes of just those two teams, I think we have a much clearer blueprint of what this Suns team is. And I think the Pelicans, they they have all these pieces. I just don't know how they all fit. And I'm just significantly concerned about Zion's long-term and short-term health, his long-term, short-term weight. Like, he just, it, it didn't look good in the bubble. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be an exciting team, and, and their odds probably reflect the fact that a lot of, uh, public money that's just excited about Zion might might throw money on them as a long shot bet, but uh, I would I would probably pick against the Pelicans making the playoffs next year in the West. Well, I think part of it too is we keep talking about the depth of the Western Conference. So Lakers, Clippers, Warriors, Nuggets, Rockets, Mavericks, Jazz. I think we all feel pretty good about those seven teams making the playoffs, right? Barring an injury. Yep. That leaves for Portland, New Orleans, Phoenix, Memphis, which, you know, was was essentially the 8th seed this year, Sacramento, Minnesota, San Antonio, OKC. And of that group of 8 teams, I think only one of them, the Thunder, are probably going to be like openly fine with missing the playoffs. Every other team, you know, maybe maybe the Spurs, I don't really know what's going on there. Um, but, you know, Portland, New Orleans, Phoenix, Memphis, Sacramento, Minnesota, those are all teams that will be doing everything they can to make the playoffs next year. And there's most likely going to be one spot for all of those. Yeah. I mean, the, my first reaction is I think the six teams that will not make the playoffs or will, it would be very unlikely they make the playoffs are the thunder, 
because I assume they're going to tank. The Grizzlies, the Spurs, the Kings, the Pelicans, and the Timberwolves. That's like tentatively who I have almost locked in as the teams I am assuming are going to miss the playoffs. Other than that, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. Um, I think the, the Suns, the Blazers, both have a shot. Um, who is the seventh team you're counting in, Nick? The so Jazz? The Jazz. Um, They're not a lock, but what, they were the, were they a five this year? Six? I don't know. They were, they kind of tanked their way to their matchup. I mean, they were, they, they were, were the top five team all year. They were the six, yeah. but they had the same record as OKC in Houston. Yeah. Oh, Houston, Houston. Um, Maybe they're not know, a lock. I, I could see Houston. I could see the Suns and the Blazers making it over Houston, to be honest, because I just, I think that that could just go south in a hurry, especially with a new coach in there. Um, but yeah, I think Alex nailed it in terms of those nine teams jacking for eight spots, barring significant injuries. If you're Houston, I, I do think there's some significant risk based on who you're depending on. You know, Harden is, has been durable, but you know Westbrook has had some injuries. He's getting up there, but even like mentally, like how do you, if you're James Harden, like how do you get jacked up to play for this team next year? Like how do you really go into the year thinking like this is our year? This is the year that with this roster we just got. Like absolutely and, killed by the Lakers. And, this is going to be. And you know, time. you you know, you could average thirty five points next season, and you're probably right. not making first team All NBA. <laughs> yeah. No, they're. I, I mean, they're, I think their window has closed. I don't, I don't think James Harden's window has necessarily closed personally, but I, I think this iteration, you know, the last five or six years of of the Rockets, like their window is closed at this point. I don't. I don't know if there's anything they could do, you know, barring like a, an injury to LeBron, an injury to Kawhi. The, you know, the Warriors getting hurt again. Like, I, I just think they need so much help to get where they need to be. And it's just most likely not going to happen. The book has been written on what you are supposed to do to stop those guys and make them ineffective. And the Thunder did exactly that and took them to seven games. Like the, the Thunder, who are really not that good, um, were able to do that. Um, so I'm with you on that. I mean, looking at these, looking at the odds, you know, a lot of times there's not great like value inherently on these because it it takes a team like really doing making this huge upset and winning the finals. But if this sort of list is indicative of kind of where the wins and losses are going to fall, like the win loss, um, you know, over unders, I, I, <laughs> I think there are some already some teams that like I would have eyed up for, like, I feel like you could take the Houston under for sure. Pretty confidently, like sun's over stuff yeah. like that. You have to see I where those Pacers fall. But, <laughs> every single season yeah all right so the last two teams i want to hit on uh before we head out are the celtics and the raptors we haven't really talked about either of them quite yet and they're sandwiched in that middle area between those top six teams lakers clippers bucks warriors nets heat those are all nine to one or less and then you have you know nuggets mavs rockets sixers those are all in the 20 to 30 to one range in between there you have the celtics at 12 to one you have the raptors at 16 to one a, a lot of the raptors momentum you know very quickly fell off uh, you know, after they lost to Boston in round two. I think falter early and we saw the Raptors just absolutely smack around the nets in round one. There was a lot of like, all right, we can pencil in the Raptors. You know, they don't even have Kawhi. They're going to get right back to the finals. And that narrative very quickly changed. And for them, you know, all of a sudden it's Fred Van Vliet's a free agent. Kyle Lowry is, is old. Serge Ibaka is a free agent. Marcus all is completely washed up and might be going overseas. Um, They've kind of earned the benefit of the doubt in some ways just because of how consistent they've been, how great the front office is, how great the coaching is. I 
I, I just I have a, a lot of a lot of an issue, I guess, kind of really buying in on the Raptors next season, unless we see some significant roster changes. And, and I'm not really sure what those would be. Yeah, I thought I thought they were poised to have a surprisingly good year this year, but I definitely think they're poised to take a a firm step back. Um, unless they just unless they're interested in completely running it back, giving Van Vliet a long-term deal and um, just being okay with trying to get like 54 wins, like short of them doing that. I mean, I I don't even think that they're um, a top four team in the East, just in terms of uh, chances of winning the finals. Yeah. I have a, I have a lot more confidence in Boston at this point. I mean, Tatum has been incredible. Um, Jalen Brown looked good. I mean, their team is just really good. The, and the thing that the, the Raptors don't have that Tatum, Jimmy Butler, like Pascal Siakam's just not that guy. And so yeah. like that, that's what's holding them back to me. Yeah. He definitely feels like a number two, like he, like he might be locked into that, that spot as like, uh, to win a title. He can't be your, your number one guy. I mean, and I would argue Lowry or Van Vliet yeah. was their best guy this season. Right. Right. Uh, I know, I've said to you, Alex, you know, they they do all NBA. I, I think they announced it. What was it like right after the second round or early third round? I, I don't know if any all NBA selection looked as egregious in retrospect as Pascal Siakam making second team all NBA. That, and that came out like right after he had that terrible second round series. People yeah. just wanted to put a Raptor in there. Yeah. And, and they didn't was, want to bump out any good. point guards. He was very good for much of the regular season, but he, I, I think well, we're good. Not even uh, he was very good for like the first six weeks, basically. Yeah. Like yeah. he was playing at an All NBA level for the first six weeks, and then he was not even playing at an All Star level, basically after that. Yeah, and and then you juxtapose it with like Jason Tatum got better and better and better as the year went along. Bam Adebayo right. got better and better. Even Jalen Brown got better and better. Like as, as much love and respect as people have for the way that Toronto has built this team. At some point, Kyle Lowry, I think, is going to to fall off a cliff, whether it's skill wise or you know injury wise, with the the amount of minutes that he's been at his age. Um, I mean, he is 34, will be 35 in March. You, you just can't keep running him like they have. Uh, and I I think they're they're a team that probably next year is still really really frisky. You know, I, I think they probably finish top four, top five in the East, but. I don't see them as a real viable title contender. I think they're kind of in a holding pattern until next year when they hopefully are able to add Giannis in their minds. Yeah, I think, again, I think Boston is just better. Like, I mean, Kemba didn't even look that good in the playoffs for a lot of the time, and they still played well. I don't know if he's a great playoff player at all because it's such a, we have barely seen him at all, relatively speaking, the playoffs compared to how old he is. But it's just a sh- the short scoring point guard thing. Although he did a really good job of taking care of the ball, passing well. And Gordon Hayward, I don't know what they're going to do with him. But you figure if he can be another year removed from the injury, maybe he plays better. Or maybe they try to trade him for, you know, centers or some well, sort of center James, depth. James, have you seen this notion that they could trade? Uh, Hayward would opt in to his final year, which he almost certainly will because it's like $30 million. And then they could trade him to Indiana for either Oladipo or Miles Turner. That was put out there by the Athletic last week. Um, I would probably do 
I mean, I would 100% do the Miles Turner one. I would do either Boston of those. Standpoint. Uh, I don't think Oladipo is a good fit with Boston. I think Hayward's actually a better fit. Um, and I don't think there's any evidence that we're ever getting like 2017 Oladipo back from an explosiveness standpoint. So, I mean, I would be all about the Miles Turner one. I would probably try to do something else with Hayward if the option was getting Oladipo. I also don't know that you're ever getting 2017 Hayward back. So like, I think in some ways it's problem for problem. And I, but I think even, I, I'd rather I'd rather have like a diminished version of Gordon Hayward than a diminished version of Victor Oladipo on that Celtics team. Yeah, I, I think if you know for sure that he's never getting back to that, then yes, I agree with you. I, I think fit-wise, there is a pretty big gap there. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, are you, so you're suggesting the other option is you, you trade Hayward and try to just get like a couple decent role players? So you're not running Brad yeah. Wanamaker and Grant Williams out there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, well, and like Wanamaker and Williams will be a little bit better this next year. Um, I I think it's like the, the Celtics are going to be a very popular pick for a team that's going to come out of the East uh, next year. I mean, it, to me, it's like, depending on what they do, like the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Heat are the clear top three in the Nets or the wild card. And then after that, I just don't really trust any of those teams um, to really make noise. So I think, I mean, the Celtics, they could run it back completely, and I still might pick them to come out of the East. So. All right. Well, I think we pretty much hit on everything. Uh, I'm going to put you guys on the spot for one last take before we head out. What is your 2021 NBA Finals matchup? Wow. I'm going to go. I'm boring. I'm going Lakers Bucks. Sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Um... Mavericks and who, James? <laughs> I'll say. I'll say Lakers, Celtics, um, but I I don't really feel good about that. Um, I would just I would I'd probably bet Lakers plus three fifty and Mavericks plus twenty two hundred and just hope that one of those two hit. Yeah, I feel a lot better about the West. Like there's like three teams that I would feel okay penciling in with the West. The Lakers number one. Uh, I I do like the Warriors just because of their flexibility, like I said before, and their and their ability to maybe add somebody. Uh, and then the Mavs are are the obvious long shot as oh. we've been saying all pod. Also, if you can find a bet, if, if there's a bet where you can just bet Western Conference wins the finals, right. like I don't even care what the odds are. Like it could be four <laughs> to one and I'd be all about that. I, I do not trust Milwaukee to make the the necessary moves. And I don't even know what that move is. I, I think they're just kind of, they're backed <laughs> into a corner right now. Yeah, I don't think they, don't I don't think they can get. Right. Yeah. And I don't, I just don't see how that team gets better next year when a lot of the guys they're relying on are, aren't like super high upside, you know, unless like Dante DiVincenzo all of a sudden becomes Tyler Hero. Well, to, to me, the the Bucks have like one way out of this, and it's for Giannis to become a good free throw shooter and good uh, three point shooter, like when it matters. Like if if he all of a sudden becomes That's a, a good free throw shooter and a good three point shooter, <laughs> then the Bucks have a really yeah. good shot. If, if he can't do that, mm-hmm. then they don't. I think I'll go Lakers Celtics. I'll join you on that one, James. I I don't see the Heat making this run two years in a row. Uh, I I think they're a team that that kind of like Toronto is is now setting its sights on 2021. I don't trust the Nets enough. I And, and I think the Celtics do have a, a potential move in them with, with the Hayward piece. And and I think there's a pretty good chance the Lakers supporting cast next year 
is better than this year. That's not really something we touched on when we were talking about them at the beginning. But like, if you look at LeBron's teams in Miami and in Cleveland, like they, the supporting cast for the most part got better between like years one and two and two and three, when you, you start adding the Shane Battiers and the Ray Allens um, and in Cleveland, you know, Channing Fry ended up making a big difference. Like they were, this roster was so slopped together this year that I think, I think they're going to get a buyout guy. They should have the mid-level available. Um, you know, you're, you're not going to add like a true third star by any means, but I think they'll just be a little bit more viable in like the five through seven spots in the rotation. Yeah. And I mean, I, you feel like either Kuzma has- they would strongly consider trading him for just like solid depth, yeah. right? Like just like a just veteran. Because yeah, I don't know who to, would it's take hard to him. Come up with a name, but like you, I think you could throw him to like the Wizards or the Hornets or the Cavs and just and get somebody. God, you would hope so. Even even if it's like a Morris level player, you know, I, I think <laughs> they would be fine with that at this point. I think on one of the pods I threw out Chuggy Osmond for Kyle Kuzma as one kind of as a joke, but Man. who knows. All right. Well, that's a good note to end it on. Appreciate you guys taking the time. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks, man.